WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, finally, some steps getting made to get more affordable housing built here in Charlotte. And why this month, October, might be the best month for those Charlotte home buyers who've been scared off by those soaring prices and bidding wars. All that and a lot more coming up here on Flashpoint. But first, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools says its students have been deeply impacted by this pandemic. Superintendent Ernest Winston recently providing end of year results showing some big drops across the board in, in every subject, every grade level and every racial group. Those numbers showing a significant disparity between white and black students. 72.5% of black third graders are not proficient in reading as compared to 29.8% of white students. And just about 40% of black 11th graders reach an ACT benchmark score compared to 87% of their white counterparts. Joining us now is the president of the Black Political Caucus here in Charlotte, Stephanie Sneed. Stephanie, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, let's talk about this disparity because we, we, we know the, the pandemic impacted everybody. That's, that's not up for debate, but we also know that specifically students of color have been disproportionately impacted. Um, are, are, you, are you comfortable? Are you um, pleased with the work that's being done to address specifically this issue here within Charlotte? So the, the caucus's position is, is that more work needs to be done. Um, you mentioned that it has disparately affected students, black students um, and brown students as well um, because of the pandemic. But we know that prior to the pandemic, these disparities were still there. Um, the, that was pointed out through CMS own report of 2016-17 breaking a link report specifically identifies these huge gaps between black and white students regarding the educational outcomes that, you know, are student outcomes that are received. So this problem existed before pandemic, definitely exasperated by the pandemic. You've been meeting with CMS in recent weeks to talk about this, and I also know there's no easy solution here, but, but what do you think is part of that solution? Uh, so part of the solution is, is something specific, uh, a certain plan. The Black Political Caucus has asked for um, specific information of how student outcomes will be changed. Um, they have presented an outline, um, a blueprint, um, as they call it, um, to change student outcomes, but it's not specific of how these student outcomes are going to change. So we may know the goals, and the goal is that we agree on is that when students leave the educational system and as required by, as, as mandated, that there are the students are constantly constitutionally um, entitled to a sound base, basic education, which means that all students should leave uh, CMS college and career ready. So the question is, changes have to be made. That's the goal, but how are we going to get there? Right now, we have an outline for that, but we don't have a specific uh, call or a specific plan for how we're going to get there. The BPC has asked for CMS to work specifically on a targeted area, the 42 lowest performing schools, which compromises 25% of the school district. What do you think, I know you talk about goals and I know they talk about uh, guardrails as well um, in, in part of this presentation. Um, and we talked about that this was an issue uh, even before we got into the pandemic. Um, do, do you feel that, that the caucus, does the caucus feel like we are in a better position, say, right now than we are, say, a year ago? 
No, <laughs> that's 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 an easy that's the, an easy answer. No, like I said, we know that these disparities have been existing, even as like I said, as identified in the 2016-17 um, breaking the link report that these disparities still exist. I mean, just to discuss them a little bit, um, for example, only 30 approximately 30 percent of black students exhibit um, college and career readiness. Again, I said that that was the goal. Every student should leave CMS college or career ready, as opposed to 70% uh, Seventy percent of white students only. Um, and another marker for that is that only 70% uh, of students are not, of black students are not on task or are not proficient, not on grade level um, in third grade. That's huge numbers, um, considering that black students compromise 40% of the, of the school district. The other thing that you can compare is, is that um, since COVID, only 40% uh, of 11th graders um, reached a benchmark score of 17 on the ACT. Um, compared to 87.2% of white students. So we know that there are still these huge disparities that are in place, so it has not improved from the pandemic. And we also have not improved on necessarily how we're going to move the needle in that, in that aspect. Um, and if I could just elaborate a little bit is that when I say that, is that we have the components. Um, the example that I would like to use is like baking a cake, right? So you know what you need to bake a cake. You need eggs, you need flour, you need um, butter, right? And then, so we say, you know, a plan has presented, been presented to us that says, okay, we need um, more um, inst instructional time with the students. We need, you know, higher, um, highly qualified, more highly qualified teachers in the classroom. So we have the components, but we don't have the, of how to execute them. How many eggs do we need? How much flour do you need? How much butter do you need to bake a cake? It's the same thing. It needs to be more specific in how the, how these things are going to change. Um, they, you know, they presented information that $50 million is going to be um, dedicated to the 42 lower, with lowest performing schools, but how is that $50 million going to be used? Like this is key information that is the, we need in order to know is the out, are these outcomes going to change? How are we going to do that? Not that we want to do these things, but how are we going to, or how are we going to change the outcomes? Like specific, specifically. Specific, specific details. What, what are you wanting here? So, you know what the number one thing is, is that what I always say, and I've spoken at the school board probably three or four times um, in, in recent months, it's, this is the number one issue in Charlotte. Like to me, it is education is the number one issue. So for me, it's like the caucus is sounding the alarm bell on listen. Like I feel like I'm screaming it from the rooftops. Like, do you see that these, this is what's happening? We have to, we have to change these outcomes. We have to change the trajectory of these students because we know what happens when we don't. What happens with a student in educational system affects cities. It affects the growth of cities. It affects um, income gaps. It affects um, the, the um, ability to earn. These have lifetime and generational effects. So we have to address this issue. This has to be 
the one of the the top issues that is elevated in Charlotte. As far as I'm concerned, we should be talking about this on the news every single day until we see these changes occur. Right. I would argue, you said this is the number one issue in, in Charlotte. I think a lot of people would agree with you. I would argue that perhaps the, the one other issue that's equally important um, is affordable housing. You have a very yes. politically powerful uh, caucus here in Charlotte that has proven it can get things done. Uh, our other issue uh, on this week's Flashpoint is affordable housing. Um, this past week, City Council announcing uh, millions of dollars to invest in more affordable housing. Um, wh where does your group stand on that? Um, so that's great. We're making strides, but more needs to be done. I mean, all of these things, and it's so funny, I can tie this back to education, like the ability to have, you know, to, to have access to housing is important. The ability to earn is important. Um, uh, Charlotte is ranks at the bottom for economic mobility. You, you know, it's, it's not a stretch to say that that connects directly to education. But yes, um, affordable housing is definitely on the issue um, is on is on the radar for for the caucus, and that's why we are paying attention to the 2040 plan. That is why we took a position on the 2040 plan and are um, eagerly and being engaged in um, the the UDA the UDO processes that are that are coming up. All right, listen, Stephanie Steed, thanks for coming on. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, come back soon. More flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. The Charlotte housing market is still blazing hot. For many, though, it's still too hot. Affordable housing, a chronic problem. This week, Charlotte City Council voting to give $23 million towards building or keeping nine affordable housing complexes. For the first time, two of those new projects allow folks to buy rather than rent, which we know here in America is perhaps the biggest wealth builder there is. In total, the plan will create 879 affordable units. It's welcome news as we look at the latest real estate numbers here in the greater Charlotte metro area. Almost every metric is up year over year in good and bad ways. New listings up 1.4%, but then inventory of homes for sale down nearly 42%. It's left more people fighting over fewer homes. But with summer over and before folks hunker down for the holidays, realtors say October might be a housing market sweet spot. Joining us today here on Flashpoint, David Kennedy. He's the president of Canopy Realty Association, a realtor association here in Charlotte. Uh, David, thanks for coming back on. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thanks, Ben. All right. Last time we spoke to you was back in April. At the time, um, you said we were in a once-in-a-generation real estate market. Uh, since the, that time, personally, I have gone through the process myself, so it's a bit more personal. Um, where would you say we stand now? Uh, five, six months later when it comes to Charlotte's real estate market? You know, there's never been a more difficult time to buy a house in Charlotte, yet there's never been a more important time uh, to buy a house in Charlotte. So um, help is on the way to an extent in that uh, early October is one of the more favorable times of the year for buyers to buy because it, all the sellers try to take advantage of those summer months that are crazy. If they didn't get scooped up, uh, they're out there and they're ready to, uh, to negotiate a little bit more. Uh, so don't, don't lose heart. If you're out there looking, keep trying. Do you expect for those folks who have been out there looking and have lost bidding wards and are frustrated and are over it, frankly, um, they're watching you say this on TV and they're saying, of course, he's a realtor. He's going to say this. But 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 do you really do mean for those folks who, who are just over it? And we know there are people out there. We all know those people. I was close to being at that point. 
you do think there's there, there's a shift in the market now that makes it a little bit more desirable for folks? Well, there's a seasonal aspect to the market. And obviously, once school starts, um, you know, the, the things kind of, uh, the activity uh, diminishes to an extent. And obviously, it diminishes even more as we enter into the holidays. So you factor that in, number one. Uh, but number two, um, if you're a frustrated buyer, just know that because the housing prices are going so much higher and higher and higher, you know, the monetary policy of the federal government is still trying to help you out with those low interest rates. So you still have, um, monetarily speaking, some favorable conditions. Uh, your issue is just supply. So what you need to realize is uh, something that you've probably heard before, you just have to apply it to housing. When you graduated from high school or college, your first job is probably not going to be your dream job. And if it is, it's probably the wrong dream. Your first house isn't gonna be your dream house, but the important thing is to get into the realm of home ownership. So buy something, make it what you want, or buy something and hang there until you can afford uh, to get something better. You said to me back in April, what we need is more inventory. What we need is more affordable inventory. Do we have more inventory than say, I know we don't have enough, but do we have more inventory than we said like back in April? Uh, just a bit, just a bit. So listen, the, the inventory problem isn't gonna be solved um, as quickly as everybody would like. And right now, what uh, the Charlotte 2040 Comprehensive Plan is doing is they're focusing on policy 2.1, which is the place types, and specifically the quadruplexes, duplexes, triplexes, and ADUs. Uh, and they're looking to see where the right type of housing can be used in the right situation. They're looking to see uh, where these types of houses will be uh, supported best in our market. And what they're finding is for those folks that are afraid uh, that the introduction of multifamily housing would diminish their current home prices, the data doesn't support that. On the other hand, the introduction of all this uh, more uh, multifamily, it doesn't necessarily make things more affordable. Um, all it does is introduce more housing for all the people that are coming to Charlotte and need it. Have we peaked the housing market here in Charlotte? I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because interest rates um, are probably not going to see a forehandle until late 2022 or even 2023. So as long as the interest rates are as low as they are, people can afford to pay more because their ongoing servicing of the loan will be less based upon their low, low, record low interest rate. So give me a prediction of what, as a person who does this as a day in, day out, what are you expecting the, the real estate market to look like in the short term, in the next couple of weeks? Uh, in the next couple of months and then a year from now here. All right, in the next couple of weeks, favorable for buyers. Um, go for it. Uh, don't be afraid to try to negotiate, but don't be afraid to, to pay over asking because again, um, if you pay over asking, that's just setting your basis um, higher so that when you ultimately sell your capital gains taxes, the window for that will be smaller. Because of that low interest rate, you're gonna be able to service the life of your loan a little bit more or less expensively, so it'll be more favorable for you. Now, the output for the rest of the years, obviously we do have a seasonal impact. So a lot of people during Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're not out trying to buy homes, they're actually celebrating and traveling and getting together with family. So be mindful of that. There may not be that much out there. Plus, kids are back in school, so if you're looking for a large single family home, there may not be as much out there, but don't lose heart. Um, keep looking, and when something shows up, you know, make sure, even if it's not perfect, try to get in there and do the best that you can. The outlook for the foreseeable future, for the foreseeable future, uh, could be different depending on what you're doing. So if you're transient in nature and you get a, you're a hot shot at wherever you work and you may have to move, 
Um, you know, you may be concerned with if you can get the same amount that you just paid for it in these current conditions. But if you pay for something in these current conditions and you like where you live and you like where you work, um, you're going to be doing just fine uh, projecting in that uh, home property growth. And even if we do level off, uh, you'll be okay because you're not looking to sell anytime soon. It's those folks that are going to do a quick turnaround uh, that if folks have different interest rates, higher interest rates, they may not be able to afford what you could have afforded when you bought at those record low interest rates. And we talked about this last time, but I want to touch on it again finally. Um, you, you don't think this is a bubble that's going to burst necessarily. It might not be like it is right now, but you foresee this sort of staying strong for a long time. Right. So it's different than the, the recession and that housing bubble back then. You can pay, um, you can miss a whole year of mortgage payments. This is just grandiose. You can miss a, 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 a month, a whole, a whole year of mortgage payments um, and then uh, begin to be foreclosed upon and then still list it on the market and make money. People will buy it. So it's not, the reason we had the recession, the bubble burst is because people were not financially qualified to buy. There was no one out there to buy. The difference is people now, there are multitudes of buyers out there financially qualified waiting to buy something so you won't get in hot water all you have to do is if you get in hot water is to sell it and you'll make money off of it or you won't lose your shirt that's for sure all right david kennedy once again it's always nice having you on talking about what is a, a certainly an exciting topic here in the charlotte area we'll have you back soon all right thank you ben have a great day all right david thanks have a good one more flashpoint after this Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Charlotte, known as a, a really philanthropic community, but the ways people give can be different based on race. That's according to the head of a black nonprofit trying to help spread awareness about the issue. WCNC Charlotte's Michelle Bowden explains. Giving can be about a lot more than just opening your wallet. It can be about giving of your time and your talent. And that's what the executive director says is one big difference when it comes to giving in the black and the white communities. It had a big impact on my life and empowered me and helped me get through a lot of struggles that I had. Kayla Johnson is a freshman at CPCC thanks in part to a scholarship she got from the Charlotte nonprofit First Gen Success, a group of women helping girls of color become the first in their families to go to college. It's a passion project of mine. The executive director of the newly formed nonprofit says most of their donations so far have come from individuals. But in addition to the money they donate, they also give advice and mentorship. And that's fairly common among Black-run nonprofits. So while, of course, writing checks and, and giving financially is vital, we bring more than that. Um, our checks may not have as many zeros behind the dollar signs because of the wealth gap that exists in our community. But um, there's additional potency in our financial gifts because we, we bring more than just the check. So that includes our, our time, our talent. Melita Fullwood is the founder of New Generation of African American Philanthropists, a group that's been seeking solutions in Charlotte for more than 15 years. Together, they've donated more than $1.5 million to the community through research, volunteerism, and civic forums, and they've awarded grants to 15 black-founded nonprofits. So it shouldn't be left to one demographic or one uh, socioeconomic category, um, we should be as inclusive as possible in who we see as prospective philanthropists and change makers. That's why she says it's okay that black giving may look a little bit different than white as long as it's happening and getting noticed. And for younger generations, you can't be what you don't see. And so many um, stories and imagery around philanthropy is really centered on the ultra wealthy. 
and that historically has been rich white men, older rich white men. And the story really is broader than that. So uh, we need to widen our frame and acknowledge the, the range of people that can give and that can have an impact on community. Philanthropy isn't just the dollars. It is that core meaning, that love of community, love of humankind, love of what it means to be human. Kayla couldn't agree more. She's using her scholarship to help pay for a degree in nursing, her own way of giving back. The Next Gen nonprofit got started right in the middle of COVID. Still, though, they've already been able to give away almost a dozen scholarships to girls who will be the first in their families to go to college. Reporting in Charlotte, Michelle Bowden, WCNC Charlotte. Improving giving can look a little different for everybody. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Hey, folks. Come talk to us. Let us know what you think about the show. You can chat with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, we're there. And always, perhaps most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Just hit subscribe. And we'll see you back here next weekend. Have a great week.